last time on Bullets and Rust. I just made a terrible mistake, sleeping with a person directly involved in one of my cases. Then, I got a 1am phone call from my mistress, Mafia wife Justine Ghent. At least, she used to be a Mafia wife. Someone just murdered her husband, Spence, and she asked me to figure out who pulled the trigger. If I refuse, she's threatened to go to Littlefish, top enforcer for the Limacoli crime family. We both know that's only going to get her killed. So now, I've got even more on my plate. In the case of Abner Forrest, the blackmailed executive, I've found out that a rival executive at the company has had one of her lackeys searching through his mail. Her name is Lucy Talaverger, and I'm going to have to look into her. My research on Killian O'Malley has turned up that his rise to power had some help. The Trovalone family has been helping him use the law to go after their rivals, the Lima Colies. Furthermore, when I went to see the O'Malley's babysitter, I learned some more unsettling truths. The O'Malley's had lied to me about their whereabouts on the night of the disappearance. They hadn't even learned he was missing until the next morning. When I went out to their house in Bay Village, I spoke to their housekeeper, Petra. She's convinced that whoever it is that's taken Liam, the child is already dead. I fear she might be right, but I'm desperately hoping that she's wrong. And just as I get back to my office, I get a visit from my old partner, the man who got me into this mess, Lieutenant Blake West.
Zeke, are you trying to get this kid killed, or are you just stupid? Blake West was nothing if not diplomatic. A former friend, we rose up through the ranks of the police force together. I even saved his life once during an arrest gone wrong. For years, I thought that if Blake didn't have my back, no one did. It would eventually turn out, no one did. Well, when push came to shove, Blake had chosen his career over the truth. Over me. He'd helped our commander, a prick named Stanley Powers, to cover up the truth of a case. I'd be lying if I said I still didn't feel the cut of his knife in my back. And Blake was the one who had pulled me into this mess, with the O'Malley's and their missing son. I'd been running around all day, chasing leads. Now, I arrived back at my agency's office to find Blake West leaning on my door. I'm sure I said something impolite, but I can't exactly remember what it was. I just know that I was tired, and I didn't have the energy for his condescending bullshit. I thought we were clear. You weren't supposed to call the babysitter. That was one of the leads I'd poked my nose into. It turns out, the O'Malley's lied to us. Lied to me about their son's disappearance. I assume they lied to Blake, too, all because they were hoping to keep a young girl quiet. O'Malley had told me not to talk to her, but I never actually agreed to stay away. I was trying to save their kid's life, after all. Besides, a sharp guy like O'Malley should have caught my subtle deception. Of course, he's got other things on his mind right now. I agreed not to tell her that Liam was missing. I kept my word. By impersonating a police officer. Last time I checked, that was still against the law. Huh, that's funny. I thought pretending to be a cop is how you built your career. Don't get smart with me, Zeke. If I wanted to, I could throw your ass in jail. Blake tried not to show it, but that one landed hard. Harder than either of us had expected. Listen, I didn't ask to be part of your bullshit case. You came to me, remember? Because the shit you were doing wasn't working. I was hired to shake things up. That's what I'm doing. If you don't like it, then fire me. Maybe there's still time for an Amber Alert. You think you're so fucking smart, you're gonna get this kid killed, Zeke. Fuck you. I was careful. Not careful enough. She called the station to follow up. She wanted to let the officer in the blue Ford Focus know that she thinks the O'Malley's are good people. Just tough on the outside. You're lucky I got called instead of someone else, or this might be all over the news. You can't go around pretending to be a cop. For the record, I never said that I was one. They just assumed that- I'm not kidding, Zeke. And I'm not dicking around, Blake. Did you realize that the O'Malley's were feeding you bullshit the whole time? They didn't even know Liam was missing until the next morning. The girl told you that? This is what I'm talking about. Blindly trusting the O'Malley's. That's your biggest mistake, but it's hardly the only one. I don't suppose he told you how much he enjoys knocking his wife off the walls. Seriously, Blake. Killian Kindle? As far as I'm concerned, they're both suspects. I don't give a shit about Killian's reputation. The only thing I care about is finding that kid. You should have come to me, Zeke. Why? For you to tell me to leave her alone? Then we'd both still be in the dark. I don't think that they killed their son. I don't know what I think. Not yet. But they're covering something. Blake walked over to the stairs and pointed his finger at me. Zeke, you're playing with fire. I'm doing what I was hired to do. If this case blows up, I shouldn't have to tell you how bad that would be for everyone. You, in particular. Most times, I'd ignore a verbal shove like that. But, as I said, I was tired, and Blake was laying on the condescension pretty damn thick. 
That sounds like a threat, Blake. It's a warning. Watch your ass. You know, I assumed you were lazy and corrupt, but I never figured you to be one of Somerset's bagmen. A flash of rage washed across Blake's face. Even he couldn't stomach the way Somerset ran things. But hell, this whole cover-up was Somerset's idea. Listen, Zeke, don't turn your anger against me into... Listen, I want the kid back just as much as you do. If I didn't, I wouldn't even be here. Fair enough. We shared a prolonged, uncomfortable silence. Years ago, we'd been able to laugh about anything. These days, this was as close to friendly as we were going to get. I was tempted to push my way by him, to go into my office. But he was right about one thing. I needed to be careful. I was short on friends, and Blake's sliver of guilt was one of the few things I could still count on. It wasn't much, but beggars can't be choosers, can they? And anyway, there was still some information he had access to that I didn't. By the way, I spoke to Kindle's sister, Mercy. She said that she was in Canada when the kidnapping happened. You guys checked that out, right? You think we'd let that slide without checking? <laughs> well, you didn't talk to the babysitter. Well, we looked into it. Her passport was scanned at the border two days before, the Wednesday before the kid went missing. She didn't come back across until Saturday. Good. At least you're doing part of your job. Blake frowned, but he didn't say a word. Now, if you don't mind, I've still got things to do. Blake stepped away from the door. I slid the key into the lock and undid the deadbolt. Just before I stepped inside, he placed his hand on my shoulder. We're on the same side here, Zeke. Just be careful, okay? I will. With that, I walked in and locked the door behind me. Then I closed my eyes and took a long, deep breath. Jesus, why does being around that prick always make me so tense? I'm not the one who betrayed him. A moment later, I stepped back into my office and organized the documents I'd collected today. I was finished in less than an hour. I could have gone home then, but something told me to wait. So I pulled myself a glass of scotch, neat, and I leaned against my desk. By the time I left, it was after eight o'clock and the sun had long since disappeared. There was a red tint to the horizon, but that was all the color left in the sky. The city is too bright for you to see many stars. I used to miss that, but not anymore. These days, I'm usually too worried about other things to think about it. But something then made me pause, pause and wonder. Could Liam see the stars from wherever he was? Was he looking up at the same colorless void that I was? Or was he already dead? Pushing that out of my mind, I drove home to the small split level I rent off Franklin Avenue. I could probably afford something a little nicer, but I'm not home often enough to really care. Still, no matter how seldom you see it, there's nothing like the feeling of your own bed. I fell onto the mattress with my clothes still on, I meant to pull them off from the top of the bed, but I was asleep before I ever got around to it. I sat up from the mattress. Another barrage of knocks came from the door. What the fuck was that? I groaned as I climbed out of bed. Instinctively, I grabbed my gun off the nightstand. On the way towards the door, I pulled back the slide to chamber around. The lights in the kitchen were on, and I grabbed my laptop case, which was sitting on the kitchen table right where I'd left it. I grabbed it and slid it behind the stand that held my microwave. Out of sight, out of mind. I adjusted the grip on my pistol. Walking forward, 
I listened intently for any subtle clues as to who was outside. Damn it, Z, will you answer the door? Okay, maybe it wasn't so subtle. After Justine began to shout, I darted to the front window. I glanced through the corner of my curtains to make sure that she'd come alone. Even at this angle, I could see the exasperated look on her face. With a heavy sigh, I opened the door. Evening. Justine pushed her way inside. For Christ's sake, what the hell took you so long? I was sleeping, I said, locking the door behind her. You scared of me or something? What's with the gun? I realized I was still holding my Walther in my right hand. Sorry, it's a, it's a force of habit. Flipping on the safety, I slid the gun into my pant pocket. I'm losing my mind, Zeke. Did you find anything yet? You haven't given me a lot of time. I'm not in Spencer's line of work, you know. Justine nodded. Her recently departed husband had been a mid-level mob enforcer. If he wanted to know something, his first instinct was to start breaking kneecaps. It was brutish, clumsy, but it also got results. And even the people he wouldn't dare beat up like a cop could usually be persuaded if the roll of twenties was thick enough. Of course, these days they had to be more careful with who they bribed. The days of organized crime owning half the city were over. But you found out something, right? I mean, you've had a whole day. I've got other cases, too, Justine. Important ones. My husband's dead, Zeke. Sure, and there's somebody that I'm trying to keep alive. Thanks for asking. Shit, really? I nodded. Damn, it's tough. Anyone I know? I can't really talk about it. Anyway, come on. I'll show you what I've got so far. Justine followed me into the kitchen, where I pulled out my laptop and opened the file I'd made on her husband. I spread pages of my own notes across the table. Justine glanced back at the door while I arranged it all. I noticed that she had her left hand shoved inside her jacket pocket, where there was a noticeable bulge. What is it, Justy? You think the person who took out Spence is going to come after you? She turned to me in surprise. Wordlessly, I nodded towards her hand. The gun's not very subtle, Justine. She blushed and pulled her hand out of the pocket. It's been a long day, Zeke. Just tell me what you found. I pointed to the list that Linda had pulled from the county registrar. These are the people Spence was trying to push out. If you know anything about any of them, that would be a big help. And if you could talk to the police, I'd like to get the ballistics on the gun that killed Spence. Justine didn't flinch as if this was a perfectly normal request. Upset as she was over Spence, she had a good head for hard business. That poor bastard husband of hers never realized how lucky he was. Justine looked over the list, but within a few minutes she was shaking her head. No one pops out. Do you have anything else? I tapped a button on my computer, and I pointed to Spence's arrest records. A few counts of illegal gambling, racketeering, Assault both with and without a deadly weapon. I turned it back to Justine. Any enemies on here that might be interested in getting payback? Half of those guys are dead. She said it so matter-of-factly that she might as well have been talking about the weather, but I could see the disappointment in her face. This is all? I could have told you this would be a dead end. It's worth looking at, Justy. Sometimes you overlook something obvious. If the name's anywhere, it's probably on here. She pointed at the list of people from Kinsmen. I nodded. I'd come to the same conclusion, but I just wanted to be sure. How long is this going to take, Zeke? I don't know, Justy. 
I don't exactly have a lot to go on. I doubt there's any witnesses that are willing to come forward. Not in a case like this. Honestly, you might be better off if- You've got to do it, Zeke. I need to put this bastard in the ground. And what if it's two people, Justine? What if someone on the list hired a professional to pull the trigger? If it's a choice between the two, I'll take the bastard that pulled the trigger. That's a bridge I'll cross when I get to it. It might come sooner than you think, Justy. If push comes to shove... Just thinking about it, Zeke. I'm so angry I want to scream. He's out there somewhere eating, sleeping, fucking. He's getting to live his life while Spencer's on some slab in the morgue. Listen, just get me the ballistics, alright? And maybe ask around the family. See if they know anything. I can't go to them. Not right now. Littlefish warned me, remember? Well, I don't need you to push. Just ask if anybody's heard anything. I'm serious, Zeke. I'm worried. Justine didn't scare easy. But right now, she was afraid to go to the Lima Coles, and she was carrying a piece in her front pocket. Clearly, there was something she wasn't telling me. Don't hold back on me, Justine. Right now, I'm the only one you've got on your side. She glanced at the door, then back towards me. I know you are, Zeke. It's just, you can see why it's hard for me to trust anybody, can't you? If our roles were reversed, I would have already skipped town. And I guess I ought to tell you, earlier today I had someone following me. Who was it? I didn't recognize him. He looked like one of the other company's guys. That meant the Trovalones, along with all their other business ventures, they own tailor shops on Euclid Avenue. For all their faults, at least their thugs were always well-dressed. Listen, I'll do what I can to hurry things along, but you need to lay low for a while. Do you have anyone you can stay with? I'm on it already. Where are you holding up? I think I better keep that to myself. Good, good, that's good. Can I still reach you the usual way? Justine nodded and stood to her feet. Make sure you find the guy that did this, Zeke. There's ten grand in it for you if you're willing to put a bullet through his heart. I told you already, I'm not going to murder anybody. I know. And just like that, Justine walked out the door. Looking at my files, I realized that she was right. I didn't have much. Of course, I hadn't been given a lot to start with. Regardless, I wasn't getting any closer to Spencer's killer tonight. I tucked my intel on Spence back into the file. As I put it away, my eyes lingered on another folder, the one full of O'Malley's old cases. I grabbed his conviction records. Something nagged at me, telling me that I'd missed something important. Earlier today, I'd worked my way backwards. Now, I went back to the very beginning, following the growth of Killian's career. At first, there wasn't much to see, just a bunch of street-level pushers and lowlifes, petty shit that DAs throw at their new recruits. Killian wouldn't be elected to head prosecutor for another couple of years. He was just one of the lawyers working in the office, struggling to make a name for himself. At least, that's what it was supposed to look like. But as I scanned through the case files, an interesting pattern began to emerge. The case that made Killian O'Malley was Frankie Lee McCauley. That had only been possible because he'd gotten Greg Vincent to squeal. But after that, something fascinating began to happen. You see... Normally, the feds handle most of the organized crime stuff. They use a law called RICO, along with other federal tools that streamline the dismantling of a criminal organization. But here in Cleveland, 
there was a steady stream of low-level guys getting busted at the county level. These were the guys that the feds leaned on to move up the food chain. However, O'Malley's office had started taking them all for himself, especially the Lima Coley's. Less than three months after busting Frankie, Killian managed to get his nephew in front of a jury, too. Within half a year, the two most powerful men in the crime family were behind bars, and O'Malley had thrown away the key. If you were naive, you might chalk that up to steadfast police work, but the truth is a lot darker. Local authorities don't go after families like this because they don't want to come home to find bullets in their windows. But the Lima Coley's hadn't touched him. Instead, they'd turned up the heat on the Trovalones. Suddenly, my blood ran cold. I used the information that Justine gave me to provide intel to my only friend in the police department, Detective Stroh. I'd gotten dozens of Trovalone foot soldiers sent up. Now I realized that I might have been the one being used. Suddenly, I was glad that Justine and I wouldn't be seeing each other anymore. If Killian was a part of this game, if he was getting help from the Trovalones, then that might put a large target on his back. Or Liam's. I realized I was going to have to stick my nose into the family business, and that was going to get dangerous. The only one I knew to call was Chester, the family accountant. Several years ago, I'd saved him from a hitman's bomb. His wife had hired the guy, but he was cheap and inexperienced. Poor Chester. The sad sap still visits her in prison twice a week. Looking at the clock, it was just past midnight. Chester was probably still awake. He'd always been a night owl. I dialed his number and hoped that he was somewhere that he could talk. Hello? Hey, it's Zeke. I've got caller ID. Listen, I was wondering if you could help me with some accounting problems. Urgent ones. There was a long pause. Chester had survived this business a long time. You don't do that without being careful. There was no way to know why I was calling, and both of us knew better than to talk details over the phone. You know that I'm a family man, right, Zeke? Chester's wife was in jail, and he didn't have any kids. His family was of a different sort. I know, I'm not looking for trouble. I just need someone with a head for numbers, someone who can take a look at something. I get the picture. Listen, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm pretty busy here. The only time I have off is Friday mornings, and I usually spend those by myself. Walking. I see. Damn. I was hoping you could have helped me out. But now that you mention it, I don't suppose you could recommend a good hiking place or two. As a matter of fact, I can. You ever go to Lakeview Cemetery? Sure. The Garfield Monument has one of the best views of the city, nestled right up against the lake. Might be worth a look sometime. I'll keep that in mind. The view's best right after sunrise. Thanks, Chester. Listen, we'll have to talk some other time. Sure. With that, the line went dead. For now, there wasn't much else I could do. Besides, I had another case to attend to. I reached into my pocket, pulling out the plastic bag with Abner's blackmail envelope. I'd grabbed it, hoping to take DNA and prints off of it. Of course, I couldn't run a DNA test from my apartment. I dialed another number on my phone. After a couple rings, a familiar voice appeared on the other end of the line. What is it? Nice to talk to you, too. It's a bit busy, Zeke. I don't really have time for chit-chat. 
I like to think of it as banter. Listen, I need a favor. Can you help me run DNA imprints off of an envelope? I can run it, but you'll never be able to use it in court without a COE. I don't suppose you've had a cop with you all day. That was her idea of a joke. We both knew how I felt about cops. But she was right. Without a COE, anything I collected would be inadmissible. For those of you not in the know, COE stands for Chain of Evidence. To use a piece of evidence, the police need to be able to trace it every step of the way, from the crime scene to the courtroom. In this case, I wasn't looking to prosecute, so it didn't really matter. My next shift's on Saturday. Is that too late? That'll be fine. Thanks, Katie. No problem, Zeke. You take care of yourself. You're the one still living in the Viper Pit. She laughed as she hung up the phone. <laughs> well, at least I was making some progress. I set my alarm so I wouldn't miss my morning run with Chester. Then I climbed into bed and fell into a long, deep sleep. It was wonderful. I woke up early on Friday morning. On the way to the cemetery, I got some drive through coffee that was truly awful. However, today it was a necessity. I'm not a morning person by nature, but neither were the people that Chester worked for. I beat the morning traffic across town. Chester had offered Lakeview Cemetery as our meeting spot. It might sound like a strange choice, but Lakeview Cemetery isn't just a graveyard. It's one of the more distinguished places in the city. It's home to a host of famous cadavers, from former President James Garfield to John D. Rockefeller. You can even find Elliot Ness, if you're so inclined, the man who took down Al Capone. Lakeview is a good place to ruminate on your own mortality. When someone dies in their 50s or 60s, it is not uncommon to hear someone say that they died young, or they didn't deserve to go so soon. The odds of any one of us being born is absurd. Most animals on Earth don't get the luxury of a calm, quiet death. Most of the creatures that have ever lived ended up getting eaten or dying of some truly horrifying disease. Then, of course, there's starvation, dying of thirst, heat stroke. The list goes on. The point is, we don't deserve a single second. We're lucky for every moment we get, and it's our responsibility to make our time worthwhile. None of us has promised anything. I know, I know, that sounds pretty dark. That's what everyone tells me anyway. But spend a few years working a homicide and you'll look at the world a bit differently. Unless, of course, you're a sociopath. Anyway, I arrived at Lakeview Cemetery and I parked in the long shadow of Garfield's tower. The poor bastard. Garfield was a good man, possibly the least ambitious person ever elected president. And what did he get for his decency? Shot. In the back by some nut job who wanted to be ambassador to France or something. Still, his tomb is a sight to see. The stone tower rises 200 feet high, with James and his wife Lucretia buried in the basement. You can visit them if you want. The monuments open almost every day. Walking in the front door, I passed by a 20-foot statue of the former president on my way up the stairs. I climbed my way two-thirds of the way up to the stone balcony that Chester had mentioned on the phone. Here... One could look out over the cemetery and the city of Cleveland itself. I found Chester waiting for me, leaning against the thick stone railing. I glanced in both directions. I wanted to make sure that we were really alone. I liked Chester, but I wasn't stupid enough to trust him. 
As he'd said last night, he was a family man. If you're wearing a recorder, turn it off. I'm not wearing anything. I just need to check out on a lead. If you think I can help, there's only a few things that could be, Zeke. Yeah. So why don't you cut the crap and get to it? He was nothing if not direct. I could appreciate that. I might even like him if he wasn't neck deep in the fucking mob. I assume you know who Spencer Ghent was. A few nights ago he took three rounds in the back. I've heard. I need to know if it was family business or not. Before I even begin to answer that, the word on the grapevine was that this unfortunate person you're referring to was on the outs with his boss. Is that so? Would you vouch for a tip like that? I wouldn't bet my mortgage on it, but it rang true. The guy was making noise all around town. The Russians weren't too pleased with him either. The Russians? I thought they'd pulled out of the neighborhood. They have, but they've still got a lot of friends in the area. That's why none of the other outfits have moved in. Fuck. I'd hoped to get some clarity here, but the picture that Chester was painting was an ugly one. It is what it is. I'd advise you to start there, but it might be a dead end. Since they left the village, they haven't been engaged in any high-profile activities. By that, he meant murders. Chester, before I leap off the diving board, I need to know if I'm jumping in the deep end or not. Is it possible that someone working for the Trovalones was involved? You know, you could get a guy killed for asking that kind of question. It's even worse that you'd go throwing names around. I hadn't meant to, but it was hard to keep everything straight at this time of the day. Chester was terrified that I was recording the conversation, and that was for good reason. After all, that's how the feds had taken down the largest families in New York. I'm not wearing a wire. I just need to know. Why? Because of a case. Because I'm sticking my neck out here, and I don't want any surprises. What kind of case? How much was I willing to share? I was asking Chester to break Omerta, the mob code of silence. In some families, violating that was a death sentence. But if I spoke too much, I might be putting Justine's life in danger. I took this case to protect her, not to see her buried next to Spence. Look, it's complicated, but you have to trust me. I'm trying to calm things down. But there's only so much I can do when I'm the least informed person in the room. There are people who are upset about what happened to Spence, and if they get to the truth before I do, well, then I can't help with the consequences. You're playing a dangerous game, Zeke. I always assumed you were too smart to get stuck in the middle. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just trying to keep the bodies from piling up. Chester eyed me warily. He was smarter than me, and we both knew it. And we knew that my work didn't favor either family over the other. Who else will hear this information? Directly? No one. No matter what you say, I'm going to confirm it on my own. I just need to know which direction to look. Fair enough. But if this comes back to me, it'll come back to you harder and faster. You understand? I'm very aware of the risks. I'd heard that there was a mark on the guy, but no checks cleared from the account we use for that sort of thing. As for who was buying and who was selling, you're on your own. No checks cleared. That meant that no one had been paid to do the hit. To understand why this matters, I need to clear up a couple misconceptions. First of all, hitmen aren't a glamorous bunch. They're not former spies or super soldiers. More often than not, they're dumb goons who washed out of the military. There's precious few of them that last more than a few jobs, 
The rest get captured or killed, which is why only idiots hire them directly. Most of them get their jobs through intermediaries. In the likely event that some third-rate hitman gets busted, they can't offer the cops very much because they don't know enough to sell. The few hitmen that survive? Those guys are good. Very good. But they don't come cheap and they're paid up front. Promptly. The last person you want to stiff is a killer for hire. Just ask Shondor Burns. He was a mob boss in the 70s. Most people considered him to be untouchable. Then he got into a money dispute with car bomb extraordinaire Danny Green. Not long after that, the authorities had to scrape what was left of Shondor Burns off the streets. So if no money had changed hands, then it wasn't the Trovalones that had hired someone to take out Spence. That was a weight off my shoulders. The last thing I wanted to do was slip deeper into family business. However, it was interesting to note that there had been a price on Spence's head. Thanks, Chester. That's what I needed to know. This isn't an easy position, so I want you to realize I really appreciate your help. Chester nodded and leaned in close. Listen, take some friendly advice. Get out of this while you still can. Otherwise, you'll find yourself side by side with your friend's husband. So, Chester knew I was working for Justine. It made me wonder how much he had known before I came to see him. He's a good listener, and because he handles all the money, everyone is beholden to him. People like Chester make for valuable friends and dangerous enemies. I stayed behind on the balcony while he disappeared down the stairs. I looked out over the city. It was covered in an early morning fog. If I waited long enough, the fog would clear and everything would be easier to see, but I didn't have that kind of time. With Chester off my list, it was time to look into a girl. Abner's residence was a house in Tremont, just across the river. The property records Linda pulled for me revealed he owned a unit at the Nine downtown, and it was easy enough to recognize the building's facade from the pictures he'd received. I had a hunch that if I went to look at the unit, there'd be someone living there, someone with a familiar face. It's not hard to get into a building like this, even when they've got security doors. Stand outside, pretending to talk on your phone or smoking a cigarette. When someone approaches, reach into your pocket like you're hunting for your keys. Most people will hold the door open for you as a friendly gesture. Once I got inside, I checked the mailboxes. Most apartments have a policy that prevent you from getting your mail delivered without your name posted on the box. On the mail slot for Abner's unit, the name C. Westmarch was printed in large, clear letters. Smiling, I rode up the elevator to the fifth floor. I wrapped my knuckles on the door. When there wasn't an immediate answer, I began to knock incessantly. Even folks that don't want to be found can't last longer than a minute or two when you're pounding on the door. Finally, I heard the sliding bolt disengage. The door opened and I was face to face with the same girl I'd seen in Abner's photos. She looked decidedly unhappy to see me. Fuck off. Abner sent me. That was a lie, of course, but it was just enough to keep her from slamming the door on my face and calling the cops. I'd never heard of him. Don't bullshit me. I know what he hires you for. I'm sorry, who are you? A friend of Abner's. Fine, then what do you want? I just want to talk. There's 1-800 numbers for that. About Abner, 
You know that he's in trouble, don't you? She shook her head and sighed. He hasn't said anything, and he hasn't been by in almost two weeks. When I called to ask him about it, he won't even answer the phone. Listen, I'm not here to cause trouble. Quite the opposite. But we need to talk. She eyed me warily. So talk. This isn't... This isn't really the sort of thing people talk about in the hallway. You don't know this hallway. I wasn't in the mood for this kind of bullshit. She had good reason to be nervous, but I was in a hurry. Fine. What do you know about Abner being blackmailed? Blackmailed? Yeah, with pictures. Pictures with you all over them. That Weasley piece of shit. He didn't tell me he was taking... He didn't. What? Someone was snapping pictures from across the street. I pointed over her shoulder to the wide bay windows that lined the wall. That's why we need to talk. With a glance over her shoulder, the young lady stepped away from the door. I slid inside and she locked it shut behind me. Ms. Westmarch was dressed in jeans and a t-shirt. By the light of day, she looked wholly unremarkable. But doubtlessly, it's a different story when Abner drops by. Of course, by the time Abner's blackmailer had started taking pictures, whatever she was wearing was already on the floor. She led me into the dining room, grabbing a bottle of wine and two glasses on the way. I just opened the bottle? No, thank you. Not that I mind having it all to myself, but it'd be rude of me not to offer you a taste. Not while I'm working. Your loss. What is it, if I might ask? Juin Chori Le Bon. Huh, that's a mouthful. I got turned on to it in college. My roommate's older sister loved the stuff. Really? Never heard of it? Well, it's delightful. But this isn't a social call, so let's cut the bullshit. You're what? A private dick? Independent investigator. All right, Mr. Investigator. What do you want to know? I'm trying to find out who's blackmailing Abner. I've spoken to him already, but people aren't always... Well, sometimes honesty turns out to be rather elusive, especially in a case like this. I thought that you could help me sort it all out. I'll tell you what I can, within reason, but only because I don't want Abner getting into trouble. (laughs) And you don't want these pictures getting out, I warned her. Trust me. I've gotten a good look at him. I don't suppose you brought any with you. Abner has them locked in his office. I see. All right then, Mr... Adams. But you can call me Zeke. Okay, Zeke. What do you want to know? Your name would be a nice place to start. She smiled, but it was all shark teeth. My name is Chelsea. Great. And how long have you been seeing Abner, Chelsea? Eighteen months, as of last week. How did you meet? At a private party for his company. If it was private, how'd you get an invitation? Or were you working for Syncorp? A friend of a friend. Another hired girl. Back when she and her sister were still on good terms, she used to learn about all kinds of special events. Fundraisers, costume balls, all the best parties. Back when they were still talking. Any idea what made them stop? This might be the oldest profession, Mr. Adams, but it's hardly the most respected. When Morgan's sister found out how she was paying the bills, she'd lost her freaking mind. Cut Morgan out of her life entirely. That seems harsh. That's why my parents think I'm working for a dentist. As for Morgan's sister, I I think she was especially upset because Morgan and I were using her events to network. So Morgan got you an invitation? Sometimes. Other times we crashed. It's hard to remember something that far back. I know I wasn't on the guest list when I met Abner. 
And how exactly does one crash a party like that? It's not hard to get inside. Not if you're willing to show a little skin. You weren't worried about being caught? Please. You think I'm the only one who does this? At events like this, they practically roll out the red carpet. Go to any one of these functions and look around. Well, I'm not usually on the guest list myself. Well, then you'll have to trust me. There's always a conspicuous assortment of young women who've come without a date. To the well-off, we're part of the entertainment. For us, no other form of advertising works half as well. It's the best way to build a client base. I see. And you took a liking to Abner. It's more accurate to say that he took a liking to me, but there's enough mutual attraction to keep things interesting. He's done very well for himself. So, you know what he does for a living? He's an executive at Syncor. However, if we're being honest, Mr. Adams, Abner spends very little of his time here talking about work. I'm sure. What about his friends? Did he ever bring any of them by? Does he take you out around town? I don't do group jobs, Mr. Adams. And no, Abner prefers to keep our arrangement discreet. One of the few times we did go out, he almost ran into someone from work. He spent 20 minutes hiding in the bathroom. Is that so? I don't suppose you remember who it was. Someone in her late 30s? I never cared to catch the name. I wondered idly if she might be talking about Lucy Talaverger, Abner's chief rival and another executive at the company. If she knew about Chelsea. But that was it. How about you? Do you owe any money around town? Chelsea shook her head. No. What about your boss? My pimp? I don't have one, detective. I'm self-employed. Investigator, I corrected. And acting alone, isn't that awfully dangerous in your line of work? I'm a big girl, Mr. Adams. I can take care of myself. Besides, I don't mind when things get a little rough. She smirked, and I knew what she meant. I'd seen the pictures. Don't mind, or would you prefer it that way, I replied. If she could be snarky, so could I. If I'm doing my job right, they can't tell the difference. Well, it makes a difference now. Why? Because you think I'm blackmailing my own clients? How stupid do you think I am? I get to live downtown rent-free, and Abner leaves a thousand dollars in cash every time he stops by. This is the best job I've ever had. She had a point, but people make stupid choices all the time. I couldn't afford to take her at her word. People get greedy, Miss Westmarch. Don't I know it. But I'm quite happy with my arrangement, Mr. Adams. For however long it lasts. What exactly is that supposed to mean? Because this is a young girl's game. You're what, 25, 27? Right now everything's fine. But this line of work, it dries up fast. <sighs> I appreciate your concern, but I've got enough savings of my own. Sure. But if you could find a way to make an easy hundred grand... Listen, just because I'm fucking him for money doesn't mean I'm fucking him over. Forgive me, but I can't take that on faith. Well, you're going to have to, aren't you? Unless you have some way for me to prove I'm innocent. Well, innocence would be a tough sell. But if you've got a printer, you might be able to prove to me that you're not guilty of this. A printer? Uh, yeah, why? Print me a picture. What's that going to show? Because it might just clear your name. What do you want a picture of? I don't care, as long as it's full page and in color. Chelsea sighed and walked over to a small desk in the corner. She turned on the computer and began hunting through her files. She printed me a picture of a young girl being penetrated by two different men. She handed it over with a smirk on her face. I think it was her idea of a joke. 
All right, what's that going to prove? I'm going to compare it to the pictures Abner's been receiving. We'll see if the printers match. You can do that? Match pictures from the same printer? Yep. How? Old investigator secret, I told her. The truth is, most printers have a fingerprinting feature built into them. If you've ever wondered why your printer refused to make black and white images without color ink, this might be the reason. When you print a photo, the printer will add small dots of different colors at random places across the page. Those random dots can be used to identify the make and model of a printer, just like a fingerprint, but they're invisible to the naked eye. I slid the picture into a plastic bag. While I was at it, I'd also look into Chelsea's actual fingerprints. It was a long shot, but there was no harm in checking. Right, so is there anything else? I've got things to do. Just one more thing, Ms. Westmarch. I'm going to need your real name. Huh? I need to do a background check. Make sure you don't have a history of larceny, extortion, that kind of thing. And if I said that Chelsea is my real name? Then I'll find out what it is anyway, but I'll have to do more legwork. And then I might be less inclined to look the other way, if I should find something you don't want Abner to see. <sighs> Ashley Pune. Great. Well, thanks for the help, Ashley. I stood to my feet and started walking towards the door. Before I made it, Chelsea got up and spoke softly in my ear. Your work sounds pretty lonely. If you ever need company, I've got friends. They can help you pass the time. And they're discreet, just like me. As she spoke, she slid a business card into the chest pocket of my shirt. Thanks, but I, uh, I think I'll pass. If you change your mind, you know where to find me. Leaving the nine, I climbed back in my car and hit the gas. I would need to add what I'd just learned into my files. Chelsea had given me a lot to think about. It seemed more and more likely that Lucy Televerger was my prime target. She'd be hard to get to, but at least I had a target. In my other two cases, I was coming up empty. Justine wanted me to help revenge her husband, but so far I'd come up short. As for the O'Malley's, well, I was no closer to finding their missing son. All I knew for certain was that they were lying to me. I was still thinking it all over when I walked into my agency's front door. I checked the drop box downstairs, but it was empty. A moment later, I came up and found Linda standing behind her desk, throwing all of her personal effects into a small cardboard box. Are you rearranging the desk? I asked. For an independent investigator, there are times when I'm pretty dense. Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck your little agency! Fuck going to the county clerk's office three times a day! Fuck all your goddamn bullshit! Linda, what the hell's- Your goddamn check bounced, you son of a bitch. Ah, shit. This whole mess started because payroll hadn't gone through, and if neither of us had gotten paid, I wouldn't have the money in my personal account to cover her check, and I still hadn't made those deposits. Damn it. Uh, Lin Linda, look, I'm sorry. Let me make it up to you by- Get fuck Cradling the box under her arm, Linda stormed by me on her way out the door. She slammed it so hard that the walls actually shook. The worst part was, I was counting on Linda to run some errands for me. Now, obviously, I'd have to do them myself. I burned several hours at the county clerk's office, pulling files on all of Killian's cases that involved the Lima Coles and the Trovalones. I also looked into Chelsea Westmarch, a.k.a. Ashley Pune. 
From there, I made my way to the bank. I finally deposited the checks from our last job. It only took my assistant quitting on me to get it done. Then I returned to the office, where I spent several hours looking over the files I'd collected. A large part of this job is spent sifting through paperwork. It's the kind of thing they don't show you in the movies, but it's an essential part of cracking a case. More often than not, if someone's lying to me, these records are the way I catch them. I started with Ms. Westmarch, Ashley Pune. She grew up outside of Chicago. She'd gone to school in California. Stanford, with a major in communications and a minor in computer science. Her record was surprisingly clean. She'd been busted for a couple of DUIs, but nothing else. She hadn't even picked up a solicitation charge. I read through a dozen of Killian O'Malley's case files before my head began to ache. There are times when you can burn yourself out, and then you start getting sloppy. I knew better than to try and force the matter, so I got up to walk outside. A little bit of fresh air might do me some good. I was heading out the door when my cell phone began to buzz. Reaching down, I pulled it out of my pocket. Glancing at the screen, I saw that it was from a private number. Great. I tapped the green icon to answer. Adam's Investigations. That sounds very official. Yeah, well, that's the idea. But I bet most of the time people assume your name's Adam. It was Mercy Malone, Kindle O'Malley's sister. She was the one who'd let me in on Killian's violent past. She'd also given me vital insight on the family dysfunction. Do you have information for me? I could ask you the same question. You're making progress, I hope. Truthfully, I hadn't made as much progress as I'd wanted to, but I wasn't about to tell her that. So far, half of my leads were dead ends. The other half went down avenues I was hesitant to follow. You don't become county prosecutor without making some powerful enemies, and the O'Malley's were no exception. But hell, I was still doing better than Blake West and the Cleveland Police Department, but that would be cold comfort unless we got Liam back alive. So... What did I say when she asked me about my progress? I'm working on it. The poor boy. I keep waiting for the call to tell me they found the body. I'm dreading it, but I almost wish they would just do it so I don't have to live with this horrible feeling of anticipation. Does that make me awful? I wouldn't say so. Not knowing is always worse. When you know the answer, you can deal with it, even if the answer is terrible. Right now? You don't even have the luxury of doing that. How do you deal with it? You keep moving. Eventually, things work themselves out. That's a lot easier said than done. <laughs> I never said it was easy. You're not a man who seems to linger with self-reflection, Mr. Adams. This isn't a good line of work for those who wrestle with self-doubt. You seem to have managed. That's because I'm restless. Once I'm on a case, I can't get it off my mind. I've always been that way. When I was a kid, I used to get obsessed with riddles. It drove my mother crazy. I'm glad to hear it. You left in such a hurry the other night, I was afraid it was just me you were running from. I doubt that you were afraid. She chuckled in the receiver. Well, one way or the other, Mr. Adams. I wouldn't be opposed to another late-night drink, if you're available. But Mercy was too wrapped up in this case. I needed to clear my head. I'm a little bit busy right now, I lied. It was seriously tempting. There was a long pause. For a moment, I wondered if I'd insulted her by turning her down. Something told me she didn't have a lot of experience with rejection. Some other time, then. Sure, I told her. 
I should have avoided her altogether. It wasn't smart to let myself get so close to someone like her, someone entwined with a case. But she was eager, and I am as susceptible to my urges as any man is. In the meantime, I don't suppose I could get you to check in on Kendall tomorrow, as a personal favor? Sure. You think there's something wrong? I'd have to be careful talking to either of the O'Malley's. They'd lied to me, but I didn't necessarily want them to know that yet. I wanted them to trust me, as much as people like that can ever really trust anyone. Good. She hasn't taken this well, you know. I'm getting worried about her. Fine. I'll look into it. Thank you, Mr. Adams. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Stay safe, Mercy. Hanging up, I slid my phone back into my pocket. A moment later, it rang again. Had Mercy forgotten to mention something? I pulled it out and answered immediately. Listen, Ms. Malone, has anyone told you that you're relentless? I don't know who the fuck Miss Malone is, but I need you to drop that shit and get over here. Now! What? Over where? It took me a moment to place the voice. Then it all clicked. Abner Forrest, the executive who was hiring me to end his blackmail problem. My house. In me, in me, right now. I was just stepping outside. The sun had fallen and darkness was rushing across the sky. It's pretty late, Mr. Forrest. I was followed home and now there's someone outside my house checking all the windows. I think they're coming after me. That wasn't likely. Any contract killer worth their salt would avoid casing the house while the owner was home. And they'd be sly enough that an amateur like Abner wouldn't see them following them. But maybe it was a burglar, who knows? Honestly, Abner's case felt like the least of my worries right now. Abner, call the police. I can't. Listen, whatever you're worried about, it's not worth losing your life over. I'm paying you to solve this. This has to be related. You hired me to look into blackmail, not to catch a bullet. They're trying to kill me, Adams. There's $5,000 in it for you if you get here in the next five minutes. Did he just say $10,000? Alright, give me the address. Bullets and Rust is written, recorded, and edited by Abraham Dunn. The theme music is written and performed by Avril McAnally. The cast for this episode was... Rachel Cotton as Detective Katie Stroh. Mary Joyce, Bernadette, Martello, Deegan as Linda. Caitlin Hawkins as Justine Gent. Allison Lightbody as Mercy Malone. Colin McCormick as Abner Forrest. David Payne as Detective Blake West. Matthew Phillips as Chester Geiger. Lucy Virginia as Chelsea Westmarch. It should go without saying, but this series is entirely fictional, as are its characters. Any claims of resemblance to actual people says more about the person making them than it does about this show. This has been a Needle Drop production. Next time on Bullets and Rust, Abner's called me in to check on a suspicious character lurking around his house. The identity of who it actually is? Well, it's one of the last people I'd expect, I'll tell you that. In the case of Liam O'Malley, Mercy asked me to check on her sister. That's fine by me. I was looking for an excuse to interrogate her without her husband present. She and Killian lied to me. Now, I want to know why. And in the case of the murder of Spence Ghent, 
I'm stuck with only bad options. Sometimes, the best way to get answers is to go right for them, even if that means sticking your head in the lion's mouth. All that and more, next time on Bullets and Rust.